Hey there, this is Katie Brinkley, and you're listening to Rocky Mountain Marketing. This podcast is all about helping Colorado-based small business owners, entrepreneurs, and professionals discover the strategies and systems that take their marketing to all new heights. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to Rocky Mountain Marketing. My guest today is Brandon Coslow. Brandon has been managing million-dollar digital marketing budgets for over eight years now. He is the director of Paid Search, it's Google Ads Marketing, at Clicks and Clients, a performance digital marketing agency based right here in Denver, Colorado. Some of the clients he's worked with have varied from household names like Xfinity to neurosurgeons and scrappy startups. A self-proclaimed marketing nerd, Brandon is also an avid snowboarder and avid tennis player. Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, tell our audience a little bit about you. You know, I gave a kind of a bird's eye view on what you do and how long you've been doing it, but tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what life was like growing up. Okay, all the way back. Growing up, so my whole family is from the New York area, Brooklyn, thereabouts. And uh, when I was about five, we moved down to South Florida. So I really grew up in South Florida, shared there, the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. Uh, so about like 30 minutes north of Miami. And it's great growing up there, being near my family. All the cousins moved down too. So it worked out really well. And yeah, I mean, I went. I also went to college in Florida State. So there's a great education system. And there's a lot of incentives to stay in state when it comes to getting education. So I got a 100% like scholarship for the in-state program. Oh, man, that's nice. So that's it's, hard, it's hard to say no to that, right? <laughs> uh, so if you do good in school, it really pays off and they really connect the dots there for you. So I took advantage of that. I stayed in state for college and I went to Florida State University, so go Knowles. And I was actually a finance major. And so I'm really into data, really into Excel spreadsheets and kind of analyzing businesses. I was also an entrepreneurship major as well, like a dual major. And, you know, I took a class called Search Engine Optimization which uh, was 10 years ago, wasn't a huge buzzword yet. And realized, you know, with a couple of my classmates that we could get paid to like help companies do this and maybe even like $50 an hour and maybe like, this is big, like this is what moves the needle. And so me and a couple uh, of friends in the entrepreneurship program kind of put together this kind of local business serving the Tallahassee area around our college and started using our network and the college angle. We actually, they had through the entrepreneurship program, they had a student business incubator, which is now a, a kind of a concept that's spread throughout the country as these business incubators um, where they provided us some resources. So we had office space. We had like computers, printers, like just space to work as a group and access to like I would call him a consultant, a really like seasoned, I don't know if he was a full-time teacher, but essentially he was available to us for questions and he had experience working for Visa. And so I call it mentorship essentially. And, you know, through that program, we had a couple interns, college interns. We had a part-time employee that was helping us with admin work. But um, back then nobody knew what SEO was and like some people do, but small business owners is who we were talking to. And they knew they needed a website though. So we generally could get working on a website. And if they had one, ads, ads are like immediate results, right? It's very much, uh, the SEO game is important, but it does, there's a delay, right? So that was definitely harder to get either, for us at least, to, to sell and to get people to pay money for, but it happened. And that was kind of my intro to digital marketing, uh, really just kind of bootstrapping it and figuring it out and kind of going for the ride of where it leads you. 
Yeah, and I love the fact that you were a finance major. So you're like, yeah, I like Excel, Excel spreadsheets and, and all that. But you realize, really, it's, it's a lot of data. It's a, a lot of kind of the same ideas for optimizing your SEO and kind of looking through Excel spreadsheets. Tell us a little bit what brought you out here to Colorado. And we heard so much about your career journey already, but what brought you here to Colorado? Yeah. So when I was working, I was working in Miami, I had about an hour commute each way. And that after you work from home, you realize how much an hour commute each way really is. But, you know, I was working for the company and my, my actual, I would say all of my team was remote. So my boss lived in North Carolina. Another team member was um, in another part of Florida. And there was one other person in the office, but I didn't need to necessarily be there day to day. And uh, clearly we had a remote team already. And another person in our office moved to our Atlanta office. So we had an office in like Vero Beach, Florida, Miami, off, uh, Florida, Denver, Colorado, uh, Atlanta. And a team member in our office and where I was at moved to Atlanta. And I, I was like, oh, we can do this? Like, we can, we can leave? Like, so that was the, one of the precipitating thoughts. The second was I went on a trip to Alaska. I visited a friend in Alaska. And I, it was, you know, I don't think it was summer yet. The leaves were turning. It was it was changing seasons. Actually, it was the end of summer. That's what it was because it was almost snowing. Like part of the trip, it was snowing because we went up north. It's very crazy how the different seasons work. So there's no seasons in Florida, by the way. It's all it's hot always, and it's just hot or more hot. And uh, it's very humid in Florida. But I got to Alaska, and I was like, all these mountains, this hiking, this nature. It, the air was cool. So at the time of year I went, it, it was 40 degrees out, but the sun was out. So like the air was cool, but the sun was on you, so you weren't cold. And to me, this was like, what? This exists? Like this? This is the life. This is what I want. I don't want to be hot and humid in Florida. So between that and kind of the button, you know, it clicking with that guy moving to Atlanta, I realized, hey, I can. You know, my lease was also up in where I was at in Florida. So I had to make a decision anyways, where I'm going to move to, like whether it was down the street or whatever. And it all kind of precipitated to me asking the business, hey, can I move can I move out to the Denver office and kind of give it a shot out there? And, you know, my family's in South Florida, but I can always go back. It's not like, you know, I was single at the time. There's not a lot of furniture in my life. Like what, what is really the cost <laughs> to do this? So, <laughs> so why not? <laughs> yeah. And then that was like five years ago and I love it out here. I just love awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah, it's once you get to, to Colorado, it's, it's, it's definitely a hard place to leave. So that's really interesting to me that you also mentioned that you had a, a double major in, in entrepreneurship. And as that, that's something that I probably that I never even thought about as of having a entrepreneur major. Tell us a little bit about what some key lessons or advice you might have gotten back when you're in school or, or that you've learned over the years that you think is the the biggest piece of advice that you'd want to give to somebody that's getting ready to start their entrepreneurial journey. Okay. So there's a couple of things in there. So the program there, yeah, having a dual major. So there's overlapping business classes. And so there's additional classes that were very like how to like choosing an LLC versus choosing a sole proprietorship versus what, you know, we had business challenges, like here's I think they gave us like a hundred dollars and they said, create the most value. And it's like, and you're, you're in a cohort. So in the, at the college I was at, it was, it's called the Jim Moran Institute. Jim Moran owns a bunch of Lexus dealerships. I, I don't, I'm sure his empire is bigger than that. I'm probably doing him an injustice, but like he essentially then donated a bunch of money. They built out like the school of entrepreneurship within my college. And now it's called like the innovation center. It's, it's evolved big time since then. 
Yeah, so that was really good. And, and being with like-minded individuals that are hungry and like looking for like, what's my path? What's the opportunities here? It's interesting how everyone goes their own ways. Like my partner, like one of my partners, when we started that business, one is now a, I believe a trial lawyer in Tallahassee in Florida. And the other is, uh, works for Netflix as a developer. And <laughs> one of the guys, one of the interns we had is now, um, he, he actually dropped out of college early and worked for a startup in California. And he, I don't think he ever went back to finish. He's incredibly talented and I get it. Yeah. And the other guy has like his own little real estate empire he's building. So it's interesting how everyone goes in their directions, especially, you know, you start, especially in college, you start in finance, you're not really sure where you want to end up. But in terms of entrepreneurial advice, there's a lot of advice you can read. At the end of the day, you have to do it. It's you learn by doing and you have to understand that you're going to fail and that you're going to make mistakes. It really is part of the process. Like people, it really is. It's not, you know, you hear people say like, you know, you're supposed to fail or fail faster is one way people say, if you look at failing as learning and you understand that it is, you, there's no way you're getting through this without, without making a mistake. It's going to happen. So just a lot of your mind, you really have to protect your mindset and cultivate your mindset of how you approach the world, how you approach the problems, how you approach rejection. Every problem that you run into is also an opportunity because other people are running into those problems. And every opportunity is really is someone, every service, every product is solving a problem, right? And when you're employed at a company, you're solving problems and you ideally are solving problems you're interested in, <laughs> right? So that's kind of how I think about it. And really you just, you can read a lot and I love reading and I'm really about education, but there was a time in college for me though, I would read too much. I would read too much and not take enough action. And it's really easy to kind of try and build the perfect machine and then start doing it. But there's definitely something to be said is, is really just get going that minimum viable product, get something that's presentable and that you can at least start a conversation with your ideal market with, or just anyone use your network. I mean, that's like, even as I grow out of college, I realize how important my network is, who my friends are, who friends of friends, like those are the people that get you the meeting or the coffee time or whatever. 10 or 15 minutes can change your life. It's crazy. You know, I love you. You brought up two very important things that I've learned since I became an entrepreneur and that is mindset and networking. Both of those things. I never, never even occurred to me that when I had my, my corporate job and it, it's so important to have the right mindset as an entrepreneur and to be networking because you never know, like you said, the friend of a friend, or those are the people that are going to help you gain new clients and new customers. Those are the people that you want to try and relationships that you want to fulfill and, and sustain. So let's move right along to what I cannot wait to talk to you about is Google ads, because we know how important the Google is and how uh, expensive it can be if you're not doing it the right way. So talk to us a little bit about paid search. Oh, wow. That's an open-ended topic. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of expensive mistakes, I'll give you the spectrum of kind of, I've seen a lot <laughs> in terms of different clients that I've worked for at the agency I work for. And there's different levels of sophistication depending on your spend, whether you're a small business, whether you're a B2B business, or you're a huge insurance Goliath that's like Geico, right? The levels of sophistication gets pretty intense, and I've seen a lot of different levels. I'd say, just to give you an idea, 
like the most recent client that I did an audit on spends about $400 per click on an ad. And when you're at that level, this is for emergency services and a deal could be anywhere from $2,000 for them to $100,000. And so in search, what makes search interesting and unique is that the person is telling you what they want. Like there's no other platform where they tell, they're typing it in. This is what I want. Give it to me. And so, and you can really, I mean, A, you, it's customer intent. So you know this person is ready to buy or ready to make a decision or is ready, you know what step they're at. And you can write the perfect ad, right? And that's kind of the game. But, you know, when you're at $400 a click, for example, every at bat is important. Every click is important. Every impression is important, especially for this client where there's not a lot of impressions. An impression is essentially a search, right? So low volume of search, really expensive searches. We want to make sure we want to do everything in our power and build out this account in a way that when we get the opportunity to get in front of someone that has an emergency, that we put the right ad in front of them, we get them to the right landing page, and we eventually get them to do business with us, right? So one of the things that the way I think about search is holistically, like it's not just an ad. I can write, I can spend all day writing the best ad and building out my ads account and, you know, getting real creative, but that person is going to land on your website and you need to then get them to take the action or you need to present the information, the minimum amount of information it takes for them to make a decision. That's direct. What I'm, what I'm involved in is direct response marketing. So that means getting someone to take an action, whether that's start an online chat with you, whether to call you, whether to fill out a form for a piece of content or a blog post, get an email address, right? That's getting someone to take an action versus doing branding where you want to keep your brand top of mind, like Xfinity shows display ads around the internet. So where to go from here? There's just so much, maybe. Where, yeah, so, well, and I, I was gonna say you start, yeah, no, well, as you say, uh, that, that kind of leads me right into the, uh, a good question here. Let's say that you have somebody who is in the home industry, a home organizer, a realtor. There's so many of them out there. Mm-hmm. What do you think a good strategy is for somebody that's in a market that is oversaturated? How do you kind of help them navigate a budget and what kind of call to action that they should be trying to use with Google ads. Sure. So there's a couple things there. The first layer is remarketing. So people that come, so I'm assuming if you're a realtor, you're doing some form of, you may be doing some form of email marketing. You may have a Facebook page or a LinkedIn page. You may have people coming to your website because you send them there to look at properties. You might have some kind of SEO ranking already. So the first layer is remarketing. So what we do or what you can do, what I advise is um, someone comes to your website, whether they fill out a form or not, you then uh, can do two things. One is display remarketing, which means now they go to YouTube or they go to Yahoo or they go to uh, CNN or Fox News and you, you show your ad that reminds them, oh, if you're still in the market or hey, I'm the greatest realtor in the world. Take a look at me. Like, and it's, and you can actually control, you know, how often they see that. And it's not meant to, there's definitely a level you can get to where you're following people around the internet. (laughs) I'm sure you felt it where, you know, Facebook knows what you want before you even know it. But the strategy is, yeah, people get distracted when they're on their website. They're in a doctor's office when they're looking at it, their kid needs something, whatever the reason may be. The idea is to bring them back and, or just to remind them to call you, right? Even that's nice. So there's, there's display remarketing and then there's search remarketing. So especially if they go back into Google search now and they start looking for realtor, like plus zip code or realtor Denver, right? Or how do I find a mortgage? Whatever that term is, right? 
for me, I, I recently bought a home and I'm looking for a closet. So I'm typing in, you know, custom closets or whatever that phrase is. You can A, put your ad there, right? But we're still on the retargeting topic. Um, let's say they leave your website, they go back into search, they type in a search. If they click your ad again, they're really, this is, this is, they're really interested. They really want your, your service and your messaging is resonating and you brought them back. And on, we usually pay more for that click because that means they're further down the funnel. They're closer to making a decision. So that's like layer one. Uh, if you do nothing else, at least, and, and, I, and I extend that to social media, you know, Facebook retargeting, you get great engagement. Retargeting in general would be my first layer there, including search. What's beautiful about search, and again, is it's not like taking out a newspaper ad or anything. It's not a flat price. It's not like, hey, you get this piece of the newspaper and it costs you 500 bucks a month. That's not how search, paid search, Google ads work. It's based on an auction. It's like going to bid for a car. Like um, you only pay what the other people in the auction are willing to pay. So you're, if you're bid, bidding on custom closets, Denver, the, the cost of your ad is two things. One, you only pay when they click on your ad. So you're not paying to show an ad and nothing happens. You're paying for something, an action. They come to your website, right? Or they can click to call directly from their phone, which is great if that's what you're optimizing for. So you're only paying when they click. And then you're only the amount you pay per click depends only on what other people are willing to pay. And there's all kinds of optimizations that go into it and how we get that cost per click down. The simplest way to just put that in, and there's, there's 50 ways to strategize and we can talk about those ways. But on the basic level, just to explain to people, like Google makes all their revenue off of pay-per-click advertising is 99%, right? They only get paid when someone clicks. So if you write a better ad that gets more clicks, Google makes more money. And so they'll actually give you a discount. They'll say, hey, your ad is X percent better than the next guy's ad. So we'll give you a little cut off the price because we're actually going to make more money in the long run by running your ad. That's one way we get the cost down. And then there's actually optimizing. And it sounds crazy if you're not in the industry, but like Every search has a different conversion rate. So we have tracking down to the search term level. So we actually see what people are literally typing in and we're bidding differently. So we're telling Google what we're willing to pay differently by the search and we're writing a different ad by the search. And different businesses have different levels of, we could get really granular, but what really moves the needle, right? I don't know if you've heard of the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, but it's like, what is the, the few, what are the three things that move the needle the most? So the 80-20 rules, like generally in a business, it's not always 80-20, but it's, it's a big chunk and a little chunk. So the, it'll be like 80% of your sales come from 20% of your customers. And you have a bunch of other customers, but the bulk of your revenue and sales are coming from a smaller cluster, like 30%, for example. And so if you only have a limited amount of hours in the day or a limited amount of resources, you really need to attend to that 30% that give you the 70%. So generally when people talk about it, it's the 80-20 principle. It's also known as the Pareto principle. It's really useful, especially when you're bootstrapping and you, you really have to prioritize. I mean, that's another part of entrepreneurship is prioritization. Yep. And I was going to say that that is a, a great segue into my next question here is let's say someone is ready to take the plunge into pay-per-click ads and spending money on Google. What would you say? And I know you've worked with some big companies, but you've also worked with some startups. What would you say a good budget is for someone to say, okay, Brandon, I want to hire you to help me get more customers in here. What would be a good starting point for a small business that's never really spent any money on Google before? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's a couple ways to think about it. We think about it as 
what is the cost per sale that makes sense for your business? So how much is a lead worth to you, right? How much is a phone call worth to you? How much is a website contact form work to you? If we get someone to talk to you on live chat, what is that worth to you? Like our lawyer clients know like 80% of our conversions are on chat. So A, we have to have chat and B, we know a chat is worth X, right? Now, if you're just starting out, you don't know, you might not know that answer, right? But let's say, but you know how much your deal sizes are or what your selling is worth. So you're not, you know, you can't pay $100 per lead if the person's only paying you $50 when they, if they, if you convert them to a sale, right? Um, so there's some basic math there, but if you also think about it this way, it's like, okay, well, if I'm willing to pay $100 a lead or $100 per sale, my budget can't be $100. I'll never get any answers as to is this working or not working. So what we look at is search volume. So are people actually searching for what you provide? For most small business owners, the answer is yes. But if you have a new service, the answer might be no. Uh, I mean, we, we have some services around COVID that we're promoting that have very low search volume. People need it, but they're not necessarily actively searching for exactly what we're selling, which is where you might go to Facebook or you might go to, there's some audience targeting stuff that we can do uh, with display. There's creative ways around it. But to answer your question is we'll look at the search volume and we'll look at cost per lead. But yeah, so it depends on the size of your business. Our agency you're generally spending at least 3000 a month with us on the ads. I mean, it's, it's more complicated than that, but it's a place to start. We'll have like a minimum in place because we're giving you our time, our expertise. So, hey, you can spend less or more than that. Or if you want to spend less than that, there's a minimum to do business with us because you're getting access to our time and our expertise. But small businesses can start with $500 or $1,000. And what I would say is, if don't spend money blindly, like the, what's really great about digital marketing is the tracking. So make sure your Google Analytics is set up. Make sure your remarketing pixel set up. Make sure your conversion tracking set up, whether that's like someone filling out a contact form or, um, I mean, you can use CallRail. CallRail is a phone call tracking software. And one of the features it has is called a whisper message. So when, let's say you put it on your website and it just shows to people coming from Google, when they call that number, it'll whisper literally in your ear before you answer the phone, call from Google ads. And so you can record that. A, there's a way to pull that back into your Google ads so that you can get attribution. Attribution means literally being able to see what generated that call, what search, what time of day, what location, how old were they, what income range are they in? That's why this platform is really powerful because all those things you know about your customer or don't know about your customer yet, it's there. The data is there. And then you can see what they do on your website with Google Analytics. So there's a lot right back to the Pareto principle, right? There's a lot to look at. There's a lot to dig into. And uh, it's kind of knowing what, where the juice is um, at first and then, you know, at what stage you're at. But um, back to my point, there's some really kind of basic setup so that when you spend your money, you know what it's generating for you. And generally, I liken it to jumping in a pool like you know the pool is safe. You know you want to go swimming, but you don't know how hot or cold the water is yet. And so you jump in and sometimes you're profitable immediately. And sometimes you break even and you need to make some changes and move things around to get profitable. And then sometimes you're not profitable and you make the decision like, hey, do I bring in an expert? Am I just doing something wrong? Or are the people in my, are the people buying ads just so much more sophisticated than me that I can't do this? And that's not generally the case, but put it this way. One way to think about cost per click is how much revenue do I generate 
from a click. And if, if a company's really good at upselling, cross-selling, getting you or to refer you to a partner of theirs and they get a referral fee, then they've made more money off the click, right? Every business is trying to essentially maximize the revenue from their customer, right? So when you get really good at that, you can kind of get really good at search too. Now, you brought up a good point too that a lot of people might not really understand, and I'd love to have you explain it just uh, for beginners here, what a pixel is, because, you know, there's the Facebook pixel, and these pixel tra- pixels are so important because you can learn so much about your customer, where they drop off, where they continue to go after they visit that first page. Talk to us a little bit about the pixel. Sure. So there's a few different kind of pixels. There's a conversion tracking pixel, which Google Ads has. And essentially that tells me, I set it up that, oh, anyone that hits a thank you page, which would generally come after you submit a form, for example, you know, anytime someone hits the thank you page and they came from my ad, it fires a pixel. So, and you, it's a piece of code on your website that you or your website person can install. If you're using WordPress, there's plugins for that. It's not rocket science, depending on your website, right? If you have a custom built website, you really need that, the guy to do it uh, for you. So install the pixel and it relays back the information to the Google ads platform across all those variables we discussed. So I'll now know the search and the de- uh, what exact search term led to that thank you page. And so now I know, hey, this search converts to my goal at a higher percent, it, more often than other searches, I can pay more for that search. I want to show my ad more there. That thing works. That works, right? Do more of what works, do less of what doesn't work, right? So this is your feedback loop, essentially, right? It's uh, how do you know if anything's working? This is it. So it's telling you that you can pull this in for calls as well. If calls are your um, goal, it's a little more complicated with calls and you can use, you can use Google's built-in call tracking. That's not a pixel. Uh, they actually give you a phone number and they'd say, hey, if the phone call lasts over two minutes, then consider that a conversion, right? So that's, real, that's newish uh, in the platform where they'll provide you that phone number and that kind of layer of tracking. But you're essentially setting up conditions at which you want to know a customer took an action on your website and then you're pulling that back into the platform so you can see it. And it happens immediately, automatically. Once you set it up, it's great. It's how you know. And it actually, it also tells you on the ad level as well. So you know which ad is driving these conversions as well. And like I said, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, once you start getting in there and you're trying to imagine looking at all these searches and not knowing which one is getting you customers, right? So this tells you that. The other one is a remarketing pixel. Like that's how you like are able to create that remarketing audience. And it needs to be on the page so that it then, I mean, we can get technical. It's kind of like creating a cookie. And then like, when someone comes back, it recognizes that, that visit. And it's pretty cool the way it works. But essentially... You know, once someone visits your website, they're tracked and unless they go to incognito mode or they sign out of their Google account or they do something very different, you can essentially know where they go around the internet because Google, Google's a behemoth, right? They not only own Gmail, that you're logged into your account, so they know all the internet. They have inventory. So when I say the display network, they have inventory across most of the internet's websites, it's like 90% plus. They're the largest display network. So that's where you can show that ad on Fox News or CNN or Yahoo.com or YouTube. YouTube is the second largest search engine. So Bing is like 10% of the search share. Um, you'll see lower cost per click there, but obviously 80-20, if you only have so much time in a day, you might want to focus on Google to start. But yeah, that powers your remarketing. 
What's cool is that where Google's getting good is because you're logged into your account on desktop and mobile for your Gmail account, for example, if you go to the website on desktop, we can still show you ads on your mobile phone. We still know because you're logged in on both. Yeah. What's crazy is like Gmail ads is an ad type and you can set it based on what emails in your inbox. Like if the competitors are there, if I see you're getting a, you know, a mortgage, for example, or talking to a realtor, then maybe you want to redo your floors or maybe what's the next step in that process. And I can get myself in front of that before you start thinking about the service, right? Yeah, I, I love it. It's so creepy, but man, as, as a marketer, it makes things so much, it, there's so many opportunities for you as a marketer with good Google ads and with those pixels. Well, before we finish up, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received and, and how has it impacted your business? Okay. Best piece of advice I've ever received. It's probably around mindset because that permeates everything you do and everything you encounter. So have being that lifelong learner, meaning like being open-minded. Another thing I value is like, I don't, or I, I try not to is where I'm not interested in being right. I just want to get the result. So like kind of separating yourself from that, like at the end of the day, I need to get something done or I need to get you know, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for performance or, you know, sales at my job or whatever that may be. And ultimately it's kind of like leaving your ego at the door and having good ideas. I mean, that's, it's, you need to have good ideas, but like, I don't care where a good idea comes from. If that's a, an employee, a coworker, or if I'm wrong about my idea, it's just, I just want the truth. So it's really being beholden to like valuing just what works what's true and kind of keeping that open mindset. So, cause that permeates everything you do. I love it. Well, Brandon, this has been such a great conversation. Where can we find out more about you and your business online? Sure. So uh, you can find me and the, uh, the agency I work at at clicksandclients.com. Feel free to reach out to me and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Brandon Coslow and uh, that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show today. It was a bit of a deep dive into the world of PPC, and I'm sure that there will be a lot of uh, follow-up questions for you on, on LinkedIn, but this has been really great. Thanks again. Sure thing. And if you're ready to take your social media to the next level for your small business, head over to my website and check out my free video training, The Three Biggest Mistakes Small Businesses Make with Social Media and How to Avoid Them. Discover how to make your social media marketing stand out from the crowd online. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Rocky Mountain Marketing. As always, I'd love to hear from you. You can visit my website at www.nextstepsocialcommunications.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look for Katie Brinkley. Let's keep taking your marketing to new heights. <laughs>